Hi, podcast listener. Welcome to Truth About Exits, a show dedicated to pulling back the curtain to reveal what it really takes to get deals closed. You'll hear directly from founders of companies who have raised capital, sold their companies, and even those who acquire other companies for growth. I'm your host, Corin Woodmass. I'm a dealmaker, advisor, and when I'm not closing deals, I love to talk to others about their deals and what it took to get them closed. And now you can listen into these conversations too. For all the show notes and more resources, go to truthaboutexits.com. And we're live. So today, we have a very special guest on the show, my good friend, Mark Brenwell. And before I introduce Mark, I want to give a bit of context as to why you might be interested in listening to this episode. So usually, if a broker or an advisor is talking of someone selling their business, they'd love to interview them when the, the process goes perfect and they sell the business, which we've done some of these as well. Um, today, we're going to talk about the decision that Mark made to not sell his business after going through the sale process. So I'm really excited to dig into that. Um, Mark, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Happy to share. Awesome. All right, mate. Just as a way of context, um, I thought it'd be cool for you to introduce yourself, maybe start with where you're based, because that's kind of interesting. And then if you could give us a little bit of background on why you moved to Thailand or why you left the US as well. Sure. So before I left the US, which is six years ago uh, now, six years and a handful of days, um, I lived in San Francisco for over 15 years. And while I was in San Francisco, I worked at a lot of different web agency style things. I was a front end coder and I got to see San Francisco during the early dot-com boom and also ride out the crash from the boom and you know, just got a really, in 17 years, you can imagine, got a really good feel for that city. And after being there for so long, you know, at some point, I just felt like it's a very expensive place to be. And if you're not really getting the most out of the city, going to all the coolest restaurants and the shows and, you know, really capitalizing on the fact that you're in that town, then, you know, it's really just ends up being an expensive place to live. And I was just, I'd done it all. Like I pretty much feel like I had completed my San Francisco journey. And so I decided to kind of test the waters and see, you know, about this entrepreneurial lifestyle or, or this expat lifestyle. And so I moved to Nicaragua for a few months. You know, my thinking was that, okay, it's foreign enough that I'll get the experience. It's also, you know, a four-hour flight back to San Francisco if I decide it's not, not for me. And I liked it. And so then I came back to my loft in San Francisco and I started to do some cleaning and selling some stuff and gearing up for the big move. And then I spent another four months, I think, in Boulder, Colorado, did some mountain biking um, like that even more. Then I decided to come back to San Francisco and basically sell everything and move out. I moved to the Philippines first, didn't know a soul, kind of just sold everything and got a suitcase and hopped on a plane. And I went to the first place I went to was Cebu and I chose the Philippines because I had been to Southeast Asia several times and I really liked it, particularly Thailand and Vietnam and uh, never been to the Philippines. So I thought, well, I know they speak English there. Um, so, so probably it's just like Thailand that speaks English. Right. And of course it's not like, it's not, you know, no country is like any other country. And I quickly discovered that 
the Philippines just wasn't where I felt like I wanted to be based. But I got really lucky and I met some really great friends there. And, you know, we're still friend, really good friends today. They are also in the expat entrepreneurial space and, you know, really started the foundation of the lifestyle I have now. Um, in fact, the friends I met there even introduced me to my now wife, who's a Filipina. We've been married for two years. And when I had met her, I decided that you know, I was going to stay in the Philippines long enough to see if the relationship had legs. And I told her, like, if it does, if it does work, then, you know, just so you know, I'm, I don't want to live in the Philippines. And I said, let's try Chiang Mai, Thailand. You know, back then it was, you know, just coming up as a place where expats were kind of basing themselves. Now that's all changed a lot in the last five years. It's booming with expats now. But I said, let's just try it out. And, you know, we'll stay there for three months and go somewhere else. And we never left. You know, it's been, we've been here for five years now. And we absolutely love it here. You know, it's a great place to be based it's a great place to come home to. And also we spend several months a year other places. And we like that too. Right. Yeah. And I, I think we met about four or five years ago in, in Chiang Mai. So it must have That's been right. fairly soon after you moved there. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Great. Cool. Okay. Well, that gives us a little bit of context on your background. So once you decided to take the leap, um, leave the US and then move to Chiang Mai. How were you funding this? Did you, were you using savings? Did yeah, you have any other business operations going on? I had a bit of savings. And you know, I say a bit, you know, it wasn't a ton of savings when I left. Like I said, San Francisco is very expensive. And so I was lucky to scrape together about, uh, I don't know, maybe a little less than 20K in what I'm calling like survival cash. Yes, I had some retirement funds, but the only thing, liquid amount of money that I left with was about $18,000. Which, you know, funny looking back now seems really risky, but at the time it felt like plenty. I had a, a small AdSense business, a couple of websites making, I don't know, back then probably like $2,500 to $3,000 in a month. And that was it, you know, and I just got, I got to a place in the Philippines that I could afford and I just got my hustle on. You know, I, I had a, I found a couple of consulting gigs that I could do remotely I worked on the those AdSense sites, and I just made it work. Awesome. Yeah, sometimes it takes cutting the cord, and you kind of figure it out, right? I love yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, you know? But the best, I mean, it's kind of the, now looking back, of course, is the best decision I ever made. And it's, you know, I also know that I, I trusted in myself to be my own parachute, and, and I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Let's jump forward a little bit when you started your current brand. And we don't need to talk about the actual brand name. We'll keep that out of this story. I think the pieces of this story are, are actually more interesting. But one thing you did do that I really liked and also the investors really liked that we were talking to, which we'll get to in a minute, was you created a brand serving one particular target market. And also, you didn't start with physical products selling on Amazon with this brand. So could you tell us a little bit about when you started the brand, uh, why, and then the transition to selling on Amazon? Sure. At some point, I could see the writing on the wall with the AdSense sites. To me, it just didn't, it wasn't um, a heartwarming business model. You know, I mean, if I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I was really just creating garbage on the internet, you know, trying to trick search engines into sending me traffic and then hoping they click on ads to go away from my page. 
right? So that just isn't really a great business model. And so I thought, well, while these things are still working, I'm going to start to find uh, some other revenue sources. And, you know, again, this is now five years ago and a little more. I spent some time just building niche specific Facebook pages. So Facebook's changed a lot, but it's still a viable thing to do. And, and so I thought, well, let me just start like five or six different niches and see which ones I can build. And then the idea was to turn them into like affiliate marketing tools. And so I started some Facebook pages around things like, I don't remember completely all of them, but like, like tattoo artists and nursing students. And I don't remember all the other ones, but I stumbled on one that just really took off in, on Facebook. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a niche that's very social and very engaged. And so Facebook was like the perfect place to start this, this brand idea. But really the whole idea then was just to build this community and, you know, engage with them and get them to engage with each other. And then, you know, refer things like other physical products or maybe t-shirts or eBooks or training, that kind of stuff. And I I started doing that and it, it started doing pretty well. And I think some months I would make as much as 10,000 bucks, right? Um, That's awesome. It's awesome. I don't know how sustainable it would have been if I didn't transition to physical products, but it was really a great way to test the market. Yeah, for sure. And I guess building the audience first, because you'd been gaming the system with the AdSense sites, it kind of made it feel more like a real business. And then if we fast forward, some mutual friends of ours um, were doing started Amazon basically. So that's how you, you got into that. So yeah, could you talk a little bit about that and then we'll jump into um, why you were wanting to sell? Sure. So after we moved to Chiang Mai, I met some people here that had started selling on Amazon. You know, at that time we're pretty small sellers, but you know, he's like, my, one of my friends, Ben specifically said, Hey, you know, you should think about selling a product. And I always considered it, but it just seems like such a big leap. Like how am I going to make a product and sell it to anybody. And so he just trained, you know, kind of walked me through the whole Amazon ecosystem. And it took a long time. And I took a lot of faith and a lot of risk thinking back, like, oh, I'm going to talk to someone in China and I'm going to source a product and somehow get it to Amazon. Seems crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and in hindsight, China's so close. <laughs> I was in the... Uh in Chiang Mai two years ago now and flew up to speak at a conference in Shenzhen and it was like a three-hour flight. <laughs> so it's like, it's right there. But yeah, it still seems like such a big leap if you've not done it before, right? It's so close, but it is it is a very, very different culture, right? So I think it's the cultural oh, leap that just seems almost insurmountable. Like, like, how does this work? And to be honest with you, like, you just, you know, if I was going to recommend that anybody do this, it's like, you just have to keep facing the problem and then surmounting the problem, you know, like, like, Oh, how do I find a sourcing person? Well, get online, start looking for sourcing people in China and talk to a few. And, you know, then, you know, we'll just keep walking down the path. And that's what I did. And luckily there's a bunch of people here in Chiang Mai that I could use as reference, you know, because they've done it. Yeah, absolutely. So fast forward um, three, four years, you've got a really nice, business running, your brand is hyper-focused on one target market, so it makes it easy to find new products. You're part of this niche as well, um, so you get the clients, the customer. 
So it's chilling along, cruising along. You're, you're making a nice, nice living out of it. Uh, why the thought on, or what was the the catalyst to make you think you, I want to sell this business? Yeah. Well, lots of things, really. You know, I, I'm in the community of people that you know selling your business is a bit of a feather in your cap. So there's a bit of ego there. That's one part of it, certainly. Also, the idea of you know, this sort of fantasy idea of retiring early is another part of it. You know, what the reality of that is actually like is something we'll probably talk about in a minute. But that the idea of it is really uh, enticing. And then another big part of it, and probably a bigger part of it than I give it credit for, is fear, right? Fear with any biz- anybody who has built a business that is somewhat successful is going to get to a point where they're afraid that everything is going to crumble. Right. So yes, whatever skills I have that got my business to this point, probably very different from the skills I need to keep growing my business further or to even keep my business at a at this stasis for a long time. And so the idea is like, well, let me just sell it while things are good, take my money and I don't know, move to a deserted island, right? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, a lot of our clients um have similar reasons, but People usually aren't that honest with the public or even, to be completely frank, to be that honest with themselves. So to know that fear plays into a reason to sell your business is a real thing. I think we all need to acknowledge that. So, okay, cool. That makes sense. And what about the preparing for sale process? So I'd love to walk through how that looked for you. And in particular, I know you interviewed a lot of brokers and advisors in the space. And you you obviously know a lot of people that have either built large businesses and or sold them in this space. So could you walk us through how that looked from from your perspective? Sure. So like you said, you know, I'm in this community of people that have experience selling their business. So it was pretty easy for me to get some referrals of people who I should talk to. And I talked to everybody who, anybody who was referred to me. So it was a quick email. Here's, here's who I am, what, what I'm thinking about doing. Here's what my business looks like at a high level. Would you like to talk about it? And so I talked to probably something like seven to 10 different agencies or um, brokers, some big, some one-man shops, and just wanted to get a feel for, you know, what was the onboarding process like? What kind of personality does the broker have that I'm talking to? Do they even respond? How fast do they respond? Just kind of get a feel for who it is that you know fits my personality and somebody I would like to work with. Mm-hmm. And just kept and knowing what that. Those down, sort just, of questions. Yeah. Oh, the sorry. Go ahead, man. Uh, no, it's just like then I would you know get have that first conversation and then I just kept narrowing it down. Some some people just didn't respond. Some people found out I lived in Thailand and couldn't make a time work. And so, you know, those decisions were easy to cut those people out. Um, But when, you know, when I really wanted to just make that decision, honestly, it was like a gut feeling. Like, do I trust this person? What kind, what size of businesses did, does he work with? What, how big of sales does he usually do? How many clients does he work with at the same time? You know, those kind of questions. How many, how many deals does he make in a year? But even though like, I would ask those questions, honestly, like if it got right down to it, it was just like, do I like this person? You know, do I feel like he's, he's going to work for my best interest? Right. For sure. 
Awesome. Yeah, so would you recommend people do, it probably sounds obvious, but would you recommend if someone's looking to sell their business to talk, go through a process like you did and talk to as many people as possible? I absolutely would. I absolutely would. And it, what's really interesting too is, you know, people would say like, well, I think your business is worth this, you know? The deviance in numbers was quite shocking, you know? Someone would say, well, I think your business is worth 600000 Someone else would say, I think your business is worth a million and a half. And I'm like, that, that's just crazy, first of all, that it's, that it's so widely different. But then, you know, as I went through the, the process, I've learned a lot about how brokers work. Some brokers will give you a high number and then list your product and your business. And then, you know, knowing that it probably won't sell for what they listed at and just kind of wear you down to a point where you're going to sell. So even if you talk to several different brokers and, you know, one's like, well, I think your business is worth $10 million. Don't just go with that person, you know, dig a little deeper and, and find out like, okay, well, generally when you list a business, how often does it actually sell for that list price? You know, ask those kind of questions. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great idea. And getting context and perspective is always a good thing when it comes to selling an asset that, you know, you've spent years building you've had sleepless nights it's um it's your baby so awesome okay so luckily you chose us which was awesome and we worked through the the sale process so let's fast forward to when we actually had the business listed for sale we started getting some some interest and started talking to buyers so once we actually started getting on calls with buyers that were picking your business apart because there's a lot of businesses for sale. Um, what was that process like, the first few calls and first interests that we got in the business? It is, I mean, to me, it was honestly, it was pretty fun to do because I feel I feel pretty good about the business that I built and pretty proud of it. So it was kind of like a platform to just brag a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, just, I just, I was happy. And I also felt very good about the the value that this business would be to the right buyer. Like I wasn't trying to sell something that I hope they wouldn't find the leaky tire. And, you know, I really believed it was a good business. So I felt like I had a lot to say and I also really take this business seriously. And so I, I pretty much had an answer for everything they would ask me. Right. And so, yeah, overall, I, I thought it was an interesting experience and a lot, it was kind of fun to meet all these different buyers and find out what their objectives were and, if we had a way to, to meet in the middle somehow. And we did meet a real cross-section of sure buyers. Um, sure your, your business appealed to a really wide wide range of buyer and investor from private people that are just looking to, maybe they've got a, a corporate gig they're working at and they're looking to replace that income and how the questions they were asking and the, the interest they had right through to really strategic right. high-level people. Now, we got... We managed to get quite a few offers for the business right at the end. We got an offer that when we first spoke, you said, look, this is what I need. In my mind, it was pretty much a perfect offer. So after going through all of those calls, how did you make the decision to say, look, I'm, I'm not selling this business? Sure. So this is a story I've said, I've told a million times. So the way that it broke down was, you know, we got, we basically got two offers at the end. And there was one, the one before the last one was very close to what I asked for. So assuming that all the numbers worked out, like, you know, went through due diligence and the offer still stayed the same. And, you know, he actually ended up paying all of the earnout that 
was suggested, I would have walked away with the number that I wanted in the beginning. And so I took that number and I, I looked at it really, this, but see, this is the first time in my life that I've actually looked at, you know, what, what you call deal structure, you know, I sell products on Amazon, so I don't know what deal structure really means. And for those people that don't know what deal structure mean, it basically means, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it basically means like, here are the components of this offer. And those could be anything from like, here's the money that, that I want to put down. Here's the terms that I want. You know, they could be anything. Assuming the business does well, I'll give you this. If the business doesn't do well, I'll give you that. I'll pay for your inventory over time or upfront. There's a lot of bits and pieces to a deal. And I talked to a couple other friends of mine who had sold businesses about this offer. And, you know, they, they very quickly found some flaws in it or not, not necessarily flaws, but things I didn't think about. Like, for instance, you know, Mark, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but it's not uncommon for people not to get paid their earnout, right? So an earnout is, Mark, I'll pay you, I'll pay you a million dollars today. And then all the profit that I earn for the next three years will go back to you or some portion of the profit or whatever until you're fully paid out. And so, you know, there was some concern over, you know, did this operator have the chops to continue to run my business well? And, you know, what assurances did I have that I would actually earn the earnout? right? And the more that I talked about this with people, the more I started to feel very uncomfortable with the offer as it stood. And so... I talked to you, Corin, and uh, we, we, we just, you know, kind of put together a counter offer, which the guy ended up not really agreeing with. And all of this was just like, there was a lot of timing involved here because as soon as a lot of emotions too, like the emotion of like, oh, we got the offer. And I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, we got the offer. We got the number that we looked looking for. So we're very excited. And then, you know, digging a little deeper, scratching under the surface a little bit oh, you know what, maybe the deal isn't really enough or exactly what I'm looking for. There's too much risk involved in the offer. And so then I continued to talk to my wife and we decided that, you know what, of all the offers we got, and we got several offers on the business, some of them were things we didn't really even think were real offers up to this one that we got, which was, which was an offer. It was a good offer. But still none of them to us felt like this was what the business to me was worth, right? And so then I sure. talked I talked to you, Corin, and I said, you know what, let's, let's take it off the market for now. Let me work on it a little more so I can build it a little bigger so that we will for sure get the number that I want. And, you know, the two of us talked and you agreed, yeah, Mark, let's do that. That's great. Meanwhile, while this was happening, there was still one offer kind of out in the offer universe that just we just hadn't heard back from. And so when we did, by the time we heard back from... The last offer, I had already in my mind decided that I wasn't going to sell. And I know that that sounds really wishy-washy, but, but selling your business is super duper emotional. You know, one, you decide, okay, we're going to sell our business and you go through that whole process. And then to say, you know what, it's just not, it's we're not, we're not getting the offer that we want. And then to say, no, okay, now we're a hundred percent going to take the business back. And then to have the final offer come back that was everything I asked for completely. If that offer would have come two weeks sooner, I would have sold. But it was just like a, such an emotional thing for us to go from selling 100% to not selling to 100%. And really, in, in that time when we decided not to sell, we got really excited about the business and things we could do and just kind of fell in love with the business again. 
And then that's why we decided ultimately to just pass on the offer. Yeah, for sure. Which isn't an easy thing to do because, yeah, like you said, you went through that whole emotional roller coaster of, yeah. um, I guess, even in the beginning when you first list the business, there's always some doubt of whether you'll even get interest, you know, how people will value the business. And, you know, along the way, speaking, I'll, I'll just speak to deal structure a little bit because I think that was something that definitely played a role in this. So the investors that we were talking to, the buyers that we were talking to, were providing some pretty pointed feedback on your business. And, you know, I was definitely and still am a fan of the brand that you've built and the business that you've built. I feel like the market needed to pay a premium for this. And I, you know, I said to you in the beginning, if we're not getting interest, let's take it off the market. Are you 100% sure you want to sell this? Because I, I felt we were probably going out too early to really get you the value that I feel that the business needed or yeah. deserved basically with what you'd put in. So we started getting feedback from investors about different pieces of the business. And some of the initial offers we were getting before those final two were you know, you mentioned inventory. So one of the deals was was just horrible. You know, like <laughs> I, we always present offers, of course. Um, so if there's an offer that comes in, we'll we'll talk about it, let our clients know. So I had to tell you about this deal, but I knew you wouldn't take it. Essentially, the offer and allegedly this buyer, they're very active in the space. Allegedly, they um they've got deals across like this before. The way the deal broke down. You were essentially going to get paid for inventory at close only, and then a three-year earnout to get you to your multiple that you're wanting. The business had to still perform, and you weren't operating. So once you, as a, a seller, once you release control of the business, anything that's performance-based, you really need to question what's actually going to be part of that deal. And I got a little bit upset on the call with the buyer and said, would you accept this offer? <laughs> and they said, well, look, people have accepted these offers. So, you know, I, I said, fine, well, I'll present it, but we're not, there's no way my client's taking this. <laughs> and then we saw, so performance-based earnouts are, are one thing. Um, there's quite common right now is seller financing, and I'll do other episodes all, all on this. But And then you've got just holdbacks where there's a, a portion of cash that's held back for a period of time, which is quite common. But yeah, when you talk to friends and they say, look, I sold my business for 4X or whatever the list price was, you know, yeah. if you can ask them what the deal structure was, that's, you know, in my business, that's all I'm interested in is what the deal structure was, how did it break down and what was the result? You know, yeah. that's really important. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's good that, that you that mentioned the, uh, the deal structure. One of the, which I was surprised about, but, but I, I mean, after time, I, I realized that, you know, anybody can make any kind of offer. So I don't even know why I'm surprised, but there was, there was one person who wanted me to stay on for, so basically I think it was Mark, I want you to work full time for us for six months with an option for us to continue having you work full time for a year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you gotta be kidding. Like who, who would ever take that kind of offer? I mean, that this is what you're going to learn. We know when anybody this is what anybody new is going to learn when they decide to sell their business. There's a lot of different kind of offers out there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really 
the thing is understanding or talking through the potential options and and coming up with a game plan before going to market can make it easy to filter out what offers and and also from our perspective as advisors going out to market is who should we target with this deal which of the buyers we're talking to already um, are the best fit on the deal and sometimes you know staying in the deal and getting access to capital and expanding maybe help them acquire other brands there's a lot of buyers in that space right now that could be interesting but like you said you know when that deal came in you don't work full-time now (laughs) so why would you work full-time for yeah like what exactly does full-time mean to you my Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So um, that was a pretty, I've got to be honest, it was an emotional roller coaster on my side too, at that point in time. But you know, I 100%, you're a mate of mine. And I, I really, it, it was tough at the time. But I, I agree, you know, this, I think the short answer is we went out a little too early, and, and we were punching above where the market was. And yeah, that was the case. So that was a good learning on both sides. So during the process, you touched on this a little bit, but a lot of the the buyer interest we had were seeing, obviously, they pointed out some of the flaws in the business, but the vast majority saw this as a brand that was, you've done a good job building the brand and here's what we would do after acquisition or here's, here's what we wish you had have done. So right now that you've you've taken the foot off the pedal on selling. Uh, what are you focusing on with the business now and, and how does your day-to-day change right now? So that's a good question. I mean, I made, when I decided to take the business back, again, still still a pretty emotional time. Like I, I have to be honest with you, like I still don't know if I made the right decision. You know, like there's some days I'm like, man, I'm, maybe I should have taken that offer. But that ship has sailed. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I decided, okay, let me double down on this Amazon business. And even that decision has changed a little bit over the short amount of time that um, the deal came off the, the market. You know, what we heard a lot from buyers was something like, you know, Mark, if your business was doing 25% off of Amazon, it'd be much more valuable to us. Um, which means, you know, in my case, I have a Shopify store, you know, could I and should I spend my time and effort building up my brand to be off of Amazon? This is what buyers said they wanted. Easier said than done. You know, I'm, I'm right now I'm like 96% Amazon. You know, I'm glad I built the brand that I have, but that doesn't mean I know how to necessarily drive traffic to Shopify, get them to convert, you know, get them to come back to the site. There's a lot more to having your own e-com channel than, you know, just opening a Shopify store. So what I've been really been focused on in the last, you know, month or so is optimizing my business. So Instead of you know thinking about new products I want to launch and you know really grow grow grow, I want to optimize, which means I have my sourcing agent in China uh, looking for other factories that make the same product, either um, either the same or, or and hopefully even better at a much lower cost. Also working on optimizing my paid ad spend, really focusing on how do I squeeze the business that I've got to just be much more of a profit generating machine. And the reason why I kind of want to do that now is I really want to, one of the great things, the ideas behind selling your business is you're going to walk away with a big lump sum of cash. And Amazon business generally isn't, if you're doing your Amazon business right, you're probably not taking a lot of cash home at the end of the day because it's a very cash intensive business. You know, if you have a few successful products and you launch a few more, 
it just all eats up all your cash in future inventory. And so now I want to take some of that cash that I would have gotten from my from the sale and just stick it away in the bank and not think about it. So, you know, maybe if I do that for the next six to eight months, I'll have a, a nice tidy nest egg and feel, you know, much more secure and get some of the benefits that I would have had if I would have sold. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And it's something that is a legitimate second option to selling. You know, you mentioned at the at the top of the show or when we first started about the fear, fear side of things. Um, cash in the bank and some more runway can definitely help with that. Diversifying outside of your business can also help with that. Yeah, that's a great plan. I think that's awesome. And any thoughts yet on whether you'd want to sell this business in the future or are you for right now just happy to keep optimizing and taking the cash flow? <laughs> I definitely think I would sell it in the future. It's going to be interesting to see like how much can I manage to you know grow the profit margin of this business and at the same time decrease the amount of time I put into it. Like if I can really do that where I, I start to see you know, let's say a 20% uptick in the, the profit margin that I take home, the money that goes into my bank account, and I'm working less and less every day, then potentially no. Then potentially if I see that as a realistic option, then why not just keep it as a cash generating machine? Certainly there's always the fear, you know, you're, um, you're playing in someone else's playground, you're, you're working off of Amazon's platform, they can make changes and they will, and you're going to deal with it. But if I can hold on to this business long enough to take home the amount of money that I would have made in the sale and still have the business, that's a huge win for me. And that's kind of, at this point, I need to do that to prove to myself that I made the right decision. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that that a lot of people don't think. They think it's binary. It's either you sell or you don't sell. Um, but the one of the biggest problems after an exit is what do you do with the cash? Totally, because totally. a pile of cash sitting in the bank is nice at first, but once it starts depleting, unless you have another cash flow source or income coming in, there's there's a difference between income flowing into your bank and a bunch of money in the bank depleting. There's no matter almost no matter how much that amount is, I believe, it will always feel different if, if it's money coming in. So you definitely want to start looking at where to deploy that money and, and even start before you're thinking about exiting, start playing with different income producing assets and figure out how to do that. Oftentimes people do go sell the business and then turn around and say, shit, how do I, how do I generate income out of this money? Right. So it's a smart play to start looking at that before um, exiting, even if you're not looking to exit. I think this was a, a really interesting conversation. Thanks so much for jumping on the call here and taking us through this emotional roller coaster we've both been on. Is, <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to... So typically, if we're talking to a, someone thinking about selling, I think is the main target for this, this particular yeah. episode. So if you were advising a friend and they said, Mark, you, you went through the process and you decided not to sell, um, what advice would you give them and what perspective would you... Or do you have questions that you would say to someone, look, think about both sides selling and not selling? And yeah, what sort of advice would you give to someone else? I mean, here's the thing. Everything you just said about, you know, planning your exit before you make it, figure out what you're going to do with the money, you know, figure out maybe some side hustles to get some cash generating 
outside of the business that you're going to sell. I agree with all of that. And, you know, our mutual friend, Dan, wrote a book called Before the Exit that walks through that, you know, step by step and makes it very clear. And I'll say this, because I read the book before I decided to sell. And, you know, he definitely in that book makes a case for not selling. And in theory, I understood what he said, but I still wanted a big chunk of cash to take home, right? And so I went ahead and, and said, no, I'm going to sell this business corn. Let's do it. And it was only after I went through the emotional roller coaster, which he talks about in the book, like I went through everything that he talks about in the book. So I read the book again after I decided not to sell. And it made a whole lot more sense to me because I just went through everything that he talked about. So even though the people are going to give advice, hey, you know, do all these things, you know, know what you're going to do with the money, know what you're going to do with your time, you know, have a plan for how you're going to, you know, start making more money again, unless you are, you know, super diligent about that stuff. Like it's just, unfortunately, I, I had to go through it. I had to go through that emotional roller coaster to understand all these things that you just talked about. And so if someone asked me like, hey, should I sell? I would walk through all these same questions that you just said. And I'd say, you know, what are you going to do with your time? And, you know, how are you going to make money? And if that person said, you know, I just want the money. I just want a big cat stack of money. You know, I would say, okay, I get it. But at some point you're going to have to face these issues. You know, let's say you got that million dollars you're looking for. Now what? What are you going to do tomorrow? Well, I'm going to take some time off. I'm just going to go hiking. Okay, that's great for a month. Then what? Right? So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you may actually find out if you, I've been doing quite a bit of this personally at the moment, and it's easy to think that money is the answer or the thing that you need. What I've, I've noticed myself with writing my own goals and assessing where things are at is if you write down what you actually want to do with the cash, you realize one, you don't probably don't need as much cash as you think. But also, you can start doing a lot of this stuff already. Totally. <laughs> so totally. it's almost like you're kind of delaying these experiences for no reason. You know, one of the things you and I were talking about was you wanting to go skiing around the world. And yeah. then you could do that right now. Totally. <laughs> you know, it, it, totally. there's nothing stopping you from going, doing a ski trip and uh, maybe doing it consistently for a whole year would get either tiring or impact your business somehow. But it's essentially 80%, 90% of what you were thinking anyway. So I think it's a really a good thought process to go through. I've got friends and we've got mutual friends on both sides of these camps, you know, keep the business generating, make wealth elsewhere as well. And also at some point, have your business ready to sell. I think that's probably the one thing that I would advise someone like yourself that is in this position is always keep an eye on what the value of the business could be. Um, make sure it's in a somewhat sellable position because if you ever needed to sell the business, then that's an option for you. If you're you know, completely just squeezing all the cash out of it, it's declining over time, that's not going to be a, a sellable asset. So that's a choice as well. You could definitely do that. But always keep one eye on the value of the business. And you know, you've been through this process, so that would be easy for you to, to keep an eye on that yeah. and have both at the same time, basically. I that's totally awesome. <clears throat> I totally agree. <laughs> Cool. Well, Mark, I love that you were able to come on today and, and give your perspective. You know, one thing I've always been impressed when we talk is how clear you are on on what you want, what you don't want, and and focusing just on that. And I think that's a, a really great skill set <laughs> to uh, to have and something that people you know often don't think about. So 
appreciate you, brother. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to another episode of Truth About Exits. Now, whenever you're ready, here are three ways I can help you. If your company is doing between 10 to 50 million plus in revenue and you want help to plan your perfect exit to achieve the highest value and best deal terms possible, or if you'd like advice on acquiring other companies to continue to grow your company, we can help. Go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. There you'll see a simple form to tell us a little bit more about you, your company and your goals. And my team and I will take it from there. So go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash consult. The second way I can help is become a guest on our show. If you've had a successful exit, you want to share your story, or if you're actively acquiring other businesses and want to share your criteria with our audience, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash guest. Let's connect and I'd love to talk to you. The third way I can help you is one of my favorite things in the entire world is sharing the truth about exit stories with other entrepreneurs by speaking at events all over the world. So far, I've had the privilege of speaking at events in the US, Canada, UK, Spain, Germany, Ukraine, Czech Republic, over in Asia, China, Hong Kong, Thailand, and even Australia. If you'd like me to speak at your next event, go to truthaboutexits.com forward slash speaker and tell me a little bit more about your event and we'll go from there. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.